Before we get to this week's episode, we do have a disclaimer. Our discussion includes general comments and does not constitute legal advice. The legal position will depend on the facts and the circumstances of a specific case and the applicable laws of the relevant jurisdiction. If you have any queries in relation to your own circumstances, you should seek legal advice from a qualified lawyer or attorney. Enjoy the show. Y'all ready to be history? Get started. Welcome. Hi. 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 Hello, everyone. To the Pro Audio Suite. Thanks to Rode Microphones. These guys are professional. They're motivated. Introducing Robert Marshall from Source Elements and Someone Audio Post, Chicago. Darren Robbo Robertson from Voodoo Radio Imaging, Sydney. Tech to the VO Stars. George the Tech Whitam from LA. And me, Andrew Peters. Voiceover talent and home studio guy. Welcome to another Pro Audio Suite. This one, we're taking a legal journey into the world of AI. Uh, There's been lots of discussion about AI, but no one's really looked at the legalities of who owns your voice. So we've uh, managed to uh, secure our legal person, uh, Stuart Green from Davies Collison Cave in Sydney. And we're going to talk about who does actually own your voice and can you own your voice and trademark it. Welcome, Stuart. Thank you, Andrew. Pleasure to be here. We should probably be clear too that you're actually a trademark lawyer, correct? Absolutely. So, look, I'm a branding and trademark specialist, um, which in a nutshell means that I help people protect, enforce and defend, and inverted commas, the signs that sort of differentiate and distinguish their goods and services from other traders. You know, when you when you mentioned taking a journey, I was about to play the Twilight Zone, and I was like, nah, I might get sued. <laughs> yeah, who owns that? Yeah, yeah really. Somebody oh, with big yeah. pockets, bigger than mine. Yeah, indeed. Now, the, the discussion we've had, we've talked about this many times before, and in fact, Robbo and I were having a chat just yesterday about this, and like, if I capture my voice on the DAW and look at the waveform, is it going to show some kind of fingerprint that's going to be different to anybody else? So that's getting into that technical side. Do you, do you know the answer to that, George? Oh, boy. No, but I know it's going to be a change. That's a moving target. I think that because we're going to figure that out. Yeah. Because what I'm, what I'm trying to do is trying to sort of compare a visual image to an audio image. Because this will be correct, Stuart, I hope, that if someone uses your visual image, then you actually own that and they have to pay. Is that correct? Um, so in terms of speaking about generalities, um, it's, it's extraordinarily, extraordinarily difficult to do that in terms of, um, I guess any area of law, but especially when we're talking about, um, different jurisdictions. It's going to be a lot of simplifying today. Is that what you're saying, Stuart? I think the general lawyers, the indeed, indeed the, the general lawyers answer you're going to get on most things is that it'll, it, it depends. It depends. So, right. um, it's going to depend on a number of things. Um, but um, look, there, there are various buckets of uh, or areas where the existing law can assist in protecting sort of different rights. But um, in, in, ter- in terms of what we're, we're talking about, a, a voice right, um, you know, it's, it's really going to be a question of looking at the existing sort of matrix of laws that you know, exist in a particular jurisdiction and then sort of working out, you know, whether we can sort of fit around, peg into a square hole type situation and working out what from each area might be used to, to protect. Because I mean, we have, you know, what you're, what you're talking about there, um, Andrew, is really around copyright. Um, and um, copyright's obviously, you know, the term that you use, it's used to describe the rights that creators have over their 
literary or artistic works. Um, and it's it, that the copyright protects the expression of the idea. Um, and, um, but then copyright protection obviously gives the copyright holder the exclusive right to, to use that work and copy the work and modify it and distribute it and perform it and display it. Um, but it's really just going to be a question of is voice considered something that's copyrightable? Um, and I think, you know, as part of a work, a broader work, it might be, but in and of itself, I, I have a big question mark over that. And um, from what I understand to date, that that's not something that's really going to be um, helpful, I guess, in, in, um, in, in protecting that voice right. A quick question in the context of the fact that, you know, we had to, we just, you know, everybody knows this is in context of Australia. So Stewart's not going to know the nuances between the U.S. and Australian law, but do, do you have some basis of knowledge of, of U.S. law enough to say, well, this would probably be quite different in the U.S. because the U.S. bases their law on a different set of precedents or, you know, we're based on the U.S. Constitution, blah, blah, blah. How does that, how does that rub you? Yeah, no, George, you're absolutely right. Look, the the answer to you know to question um, you know is is a voice protectable or is the sound protectable is always going to be different depending on the jurisdiction. Um, right. I can I, I am I'm not a um, U.S. qualified lawyer and I don't profess to be. Um, and, and as I said, my specialty is more the trademark side, and perhaps we can and I'll perhaps speak to sort of how trademarks can protect sounds in a in a minute. But um, but in in terms of the U.S. Um, Aspects. I mean, the U.S. is different. The U.S. has different rights. Um, I guess. I guess it's probably best to sort of maybe sort of step back, go back to first principles and sort of sort of these sorts of things. Because when we're talking about the the suite of rights we're talking about, we're talking about intellectual property or IP, and that's sort of you know the broad suite of rights that's designed to protect intellectual and creative endeavors and sort of intangible creations of the mind. And your listeners were no doubt, and you guys would have heard of sort of trademarks, copyright, designs, patents, trade secrets, confidential information, that sort of get up. So is IP an umbrella over all of that? Indeed. So, so yeah. that's exactly right. Um, so in that context, just to answer your actual question, though, <laughs> the, um, in, in terms of sort of the US, the US um, will have different remedies um, and um, different, I guess, causes of action that someone who wanted to protect their voice and want to enforce their... Um, their rights in what they believe to be something they own um, would would be able to rely on. I guess in Australia we'd be looking at sort of the misleading, deceptive conduct provisions of the Australian Consumer Law um, and 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 the, the broader IP suite of rights that is that are available. I think the US equivalent would be, would be something along antitrust. But then equally, yeah. there's been a bit of case law in the US that I'm aware of in relation to sort of publicity rights and sort of the common law. Um, writes that a person who does have a reputation in their voice or in their works um, would be able to r- rely on. And I guess the, the, the two cases that, are, that immediately come to mind um, would be Bette Midler, um, who sort of took the Ford Motor Company to task a number of years ago when um, her voice was imitated in an advert by Ford. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the court in that, and, and again, this is just... Um, just of what I've read, so again, not a US sure. lawyer, but just what, what I understand. Um, the court in that, um, that uh, decision sort of held that the voice is not co- copyrightable, but Bette Midler was afforded common law rights for the appropriation of her identity. So, you know, 
a voice is distinctive and personal and, you know, it is one of the most palpable ways identif- identity is manifested. So the, the voice in abstract is not going to be protectable, but the underlying work, including a recording of the voice or the work, could be protectable. And the other mm-hmm. one so that comes to mind is Tom Waits, um, uh, the famous singer-songwriter who's got an extraordinarily distinctive voice. Yeah, um, and he sort of took the um, Frito-Lay people to task uh, where his voice was imitated in a radio commercial for Doritos. That was sort of in your neck of the woods, uh, George, um, mm-hmm. under California law. Um, there, was, there was an appropriation of publicity rights and, you know, the use of someone who sounded like Tom Waits implied an endorsement under federal U.S. law. And there's wow. actually a really good New York Times article on that, which is sort of going back to 2006 where Tom Waits is speaking to that issue. I might send that to you guys so you can just have a yeah yeah well when you type well. tom waits doritos commercial into google hit number one is a youtube video called there tom waits lawsuit there you go there you oh. go <laughs> wow. so if you okay. want to learn about it it's not hard to find information so thanks for that context i appreciate it but i guess that leads to the the next point which is who's actually going to take action and um who has an ability to take action and it's usually going to be a uh, person who does have an existing reputation um, and has the funds, really, to to actually litigate and take someone to task. I think the funds is probably the uh, that's the, the the key issue. I'm gathering that um, no one's going to be able to afford uh, to take any of these people to court. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's obviously a, it's a, I can, it comes down to a commercial decision. You know, Tom Waits obviously has a significant reputation in his voice and. Um, and, and, and the works that he produces. And therefore, you know, it, it's a case of why allowing someone else to leverage, you know, your, your IP effectively um, and your reputation in, in, in support of their own commercial gain. I guess, you know, if it, we're, we're not talking about parody or, you know, something, you know, that's not being used in a commercial sense. We're really talking about... Um, if, voice matching. If, if, we call it voice matching yeah. here. Okay. Yeah. Which people do routinely. It, they get paid well for it. Uh, it's a skill set, and it's yeah, it's not a parody. It's a, it's really meant to save the client money. How would you prove all this in court, regardless of whether we're talking trademark or we're talking copyright, with a with an audio logo like the famous, you know, dong 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 for Pentium or what, whoever that is. Is it Pentium or Dell? Intel, 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 Intel. Intel sorry, yeah, that's right. Um, with the famous dong 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 for Intel, that's a set of notes on a keyboard that you can prove, you know, that that's, that's the order and that those notes get played in and that's our, how do you do that with a voice? Because I can be in a recording session and I can ask the voiceover artist to go up in pitch or down in pitch or change their voice to get the, the recording that I want, even if I'm not trying to match someone famous, I'm just trying to get the sound I want. How do I know that or how do how would you prove that that's infringing on someone else's voice? In the case of trademarks, um, and that's what I can probably speak to. Um, again, I think it's probably best to sort of go back to first principles on this, and then come a long way of getting around to answer your question. Yeah, no, that's right, Robert. Um, but so, sort of t- taking back to first principles on trademarks. So, the trademark. What we're talking about when we're talking about a trademark, we're talking about a sign, which could be you know the word, the name, the signature the sound, the letter, the smell, the logo, whatever it is, um, that's used in the course of trade to distinguish one trade's goods from those of another, um, goods or services. So um, 
in order to secure registration, trademark needs to be different from prior marks. It needs to be distinctive in relation to the goods or services for which protection is sought. And so in terms of distinctiveness, that means that the, what you're trying to get a monopoly in relation to is something that other traders do not need to use or unlikely to require in, in the ordinary course of their businesses. So sound trademarks um, are considered non-traditional trademarks. They're fairly new and recent invention, looking at the overall arc of sort of the formation of and evolution of trademarks. But the key principles of, of securing a trade, sound trademark are um, that they need to meet not only the, the, the standard criteria of being different and distinctive, but they also need to sort of be represented graphically and include a clear and concise description of the trademark. So when you then secure a, or apply for it, first of all, when you apply for a sound trademark, what you are needing to do is you need to pro- provide a sound recording. And then typically you'd also need to provide a description um, of what it is that you are protecting. Um, and so sort of the Intel Corporation sound trademark that you mentioned there, Robert, is a good example of that, which so, you know, it's a, it's a five-tone audio progression uh, with the notes D-flat, D-flat, G-flat, D-flat, and A-flat. And basically a, a trademark is going to be examined by the relevant jurisdiction, the, the relevant examining authorities in the particular jurisdiction. In Australia, it's IP Australia. In the US, it's the United States Patent and Trademark Office. And they're going to go through a number of criteria to determine whether, as we sort of said, the trademark is different and distinctive and actually meets the registration criteria. Once you then have that trademark registration, you can use that both as a sword and a shield. So, you know, Intel has the ability to then, um, if they come across someone who is using that particular sound trademark in relation to, you know, the computer chips and processes that they produce they would be able to then, you know, initiate trademark um, infringement uh, proceedings against that particular entity or person who's sort of, who is infringing their trademark or allegedly infringing their trademark. So in terms of, you know, the evidence that you'd need to sort of collect and collate, um, it's, you know, one, you need to, you know, ensure that you actually have the right. So from a trademark perspective, that's, you know, registering the right. From a copyright perspective, in the US, you can register copyright. Um, in Australia, it's an automatic right. So, you know, it's about then keeping records about when you sort of came up with the expression of work and, and then being able to sort of, you know, paint the narrative in the picture as to, you know, why it is that a third party is infringing your rights in that particular work or trademark or whatever IP right it might be. Um, there's not going to be any one... <laughs> This is, again, it's, it's going to be the, the answer is that it depends. There's never going to be one sort of way um, of doing this for all cases. It's going to be a case of sort of evaluating the, the facts and circumstances of the case and, and working out, you know, what do we actually need to, to, to be able to prove infringement. And, um, but as with most, most cases, it's, it's about, you know, understanding your rights, securing your rights, um, and then collecting the evidence to demonstrate that you know someone has uh, you know either leveraged your um, well, basically reproduced your rights um, without authorization. Here's here's an interesting angle. There have been over the last ten to fifteen years um, online casting sites, uh, basically voiceovers people audition for jobs and they send in their MP3s to these sites. Now those sites hold those auditions. And they have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hours worth of voice. 
if one of those sites decided to set up an AI company and use their database or their store of voices, what would be the proceedings if you actually have you've given them an MP3 of your voice on many occasions? What right do you have to stop them from using your voice as an AI? So this is really, really important issue, um, and it's and and you know kudos to you guys for actually having this discussion because part of answering this question is really just about arming people with the knowledge um, to know that what what the ramifications are of you know providing um, your you know your IP your your recording to casting websites or other businesses, I guess the the thing to think about again going back going back to first principles is it's really important to think about contractual rights. So what are the con, what are you, what are the terms and conditions that you're signing up to um, with this particular website? You know, is it clear from from the website how your voice is going to be used? If not, you know, big question mark. Is it a good idea for you to um, to, to avail yourself of of that sort of avenue to to secure work? Most of these things are going to come down to contractual terms and rights. And so I think it's, it's fairly important to think about, you know, what's the gig, how is the recording going to be used, you know, making clear that the work that you do is not to be used for anything beyond um, the particular gig at hand, you know. So, you know, is it, is it likely that you're going to receive credit for that work? You know, is there a time limit on, on their use of the recording? Are they going to destroy the recording after a particular time? You know, are there royalties applicable? Those are all sorts of things that you probably need to look at. But I think by having this discussion, you, you're effectively educating the talent out there so they sort of understand that there are traps and pitfalls. You know, as we sort of said from the outset, the legal remedies that might be available are going to depend on the particular circumstances of each case. And that's going to sort of be determined by the location, the, the available laws, the, the activism of the industry representatives, I guess, and their member organisations, perhaps unions, the engagement of the media, you know, and government receptiveness to change. Because if we say that, you know, things aren't going to change unless sort of people make law and have the, have the funds and, um, you know, wherewithal to take someone to task and litigate, really the, the only other way that, you know, action will will come is through legislative change. And so legislative change will obviously is whether it's Congress or Parliament, um, you know, it's it's government made law. Um, sometimes governments will do the right thing and 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 see a problem and address it, but vast majority of the time um, it's about lobbying and getting the issue in front of the relevant lawmakers to um, ensure that um, concerns are, are heeded. Mm. If there was legislation put forward to government uh, or Congress and uh, it was approved, could they actually approve it historically? Um, I'm probably not going to answer that one. I, um, <laughs> <laughs> There's your answer. That, that, that's, that, that's, that's a um, so retrospective legislation is possible, in, and it's going to depend on where where it happens. Like so, um, yeah, I, I, it's a dangerous one. Um, it is possible to make retrospective legislation, um, but um, yeah, I'm, 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 I can't speak authoritatively on that, I'm afraid. Um, well, the issue I have is that I, no one was discussing AI. In fact, they've only really, it's only a recent thing. But the storage of all these voice samples has been going on for, like I said, 10, 15 years, uh, maybe even longer. So 
people actually were more concerned about someone stealing their audition and using it as a final. No one ever thought about this point where that information you've given them can be used in AI. We weren't signing contracts saying, you cannot use my voice in AI, because there wasn't AI. It's a case of the law going to have having to catch up to you know the commercial reality, unfortunately. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know which way to go on this one, guys, because because it could it could go either way. I mean, there is there is possibility that you know governments might come in with legislation to retrospectively say you know these things now apply, but I just don't know enough about you know. So let's let let's let's come at this from another angle then. Yep. If I may. And let's use Australian as the example, um, because you can answer to Australian. If I'm an Australian voiceover artist, I'm listening to this episode and I'm now quietly crapping myself at the, for the last 10 years, I've been loading up one of these voiceover websites with hours and hours of my voice. And I think, shit, I'm not protected. Is there anything I can do right now to say, exactly what AP's saying. AI was never in the mix. It now is. Can I go to a lawyer and go, I want to protect myself or am I basically screwed? I would never say you're screwed. I, I think it's about taking a step back and going, okay, so what were the terms and conditions with this, this particular website that I've been uploading you know, my work to? If it is a sort of an audition and it's sort of a speech or a performance or something, there is likely to be an ability to rely on copyright to sort of a moral right or a, um, an attribution right. Um, and that would probably need to be explored. First of all, check out what were you signing up to? So it's, it's important to understand sort of what, what did I sign up to? So what did I do? What did I upload? If you still have records of it, um, sort of to do a bit of a, a, you know, a health check and an audit about, you know, where I stand and then, you know, it is, if you do speak to a lawyer, it's a, they, they will go through, you know, the particular circumstances of the case. When did it happen? What was uploaded? If we can categorize the, the files that were uploaded as a work, then there may be copyright protection, as I sort of said, and there may be sort of an ability to sort of pursue um, a, a query around moral rights. Because um, so, so moral rights sort of, just to, go, to take a step back as well, moral rights is sort of a subset of, in the copyright but they protect the relationship between the creator of the work and their work, even if the creator no longer owns the work or the copyright in the work. So mm. that that's sort of where I'm thinking there might be an option because, again, it's a question of, well, moral, moral rights only really concern the right to be properly attributed or credited. And, and, and the other thing was to, to protect the work from derogatory treatment. I guess theoretically, and again, depend on the circumstances of each case, if, um, you know, someone uploaded a performance and it was used by a company which perhaps bring the performance or the performer into disrepute, then, you know, there'd be an argument there. Um, or if, if, you could, if you definitely know it was your performance, then you'd have a right to have that, you know, attributed to you or credited to you. Mm. Um, that's sort of where, where I'm thinking you'd, you'd go. Sure. So that's, that's the performance. Does that include the sound of my voice, though? No. So, so look, I, I've, I've been thinking about this and I, I, I just can't see how absent a voice image right or a reputation, you can protect the voice itself as, as things stand right now. So the, the best way for people to protect themselves is going to be getting on the front foot contractually, you know, and ensuring that you sort of have eyes open, understanding of you know, what you're getting into when you do sign up for, for a gig. 
and sort of just limiting the the manner in which your um, voice can then be used and limiting it to that particular performance or that that gig. Wow. Okay, that opens a massive can of worms for the industry, doesn't it? It does. And the other the other thing is, if laws are different in each jurisdiction, uh, then someone set up camp doing an AI in a place that doesn't have any legal ramifications for basically voice farming. Where do we stand with that? Can we take legal action against them from here? It's, it's going to, again, be a question of standing. Um, you know, th- that's where the lawyer will come into it and do the research and the DD and due diligence around sort of, you know, w- if, if they are in some sort of jurisdiction that they're untouchable, which, you know, many companies might think of doing, um, you know, there may be other ways of getting them. There's, there's um, you know, this is perhaps where the United States might come into things with their sort of doctrine of extraterritoriality. Um, you know, US law applies anywhere that a US citizen is sort of um, affected. So um, the US might need to be the one to lead on that one, I think. Would it be uh, like, say, for instance, there are, say, 10,000 voice people who have given samples of their voice to a, well, we'll just use website because it's just easier, uh, to a website who now turn themselves into an AI company. Would you take, um, would you do this en masse using all the thousands of people to prosecute? So you're saying in terms of a sort of a class action type situation? Yeah, class action, yeah. Again, not a class action lawyer. Um, and I, 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 I wouldn't be sure on that one, to be honest. Um, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I think you need to speak to a class action lawyer on that one. Um, sorry. I don't no, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, that's it's, 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 a, it's obviously a limited things I can speak about, and I'm not sure that um, – giving you, misleading your listeners is going to be the best idea. So it's... Yeah. it's um, we do it every week. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Thing. <laughs> Sorry, George, did you have something? I was just trying to slip in a dumb joke to add on yeah. to the rest. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> slip it in now. I'm listening very intently because I, I, I realize how challenging it is as an attorney. Attorneys know what they know and they've studied what they studied, Right. And there's no way one attorney can know the breadth of the cases that are so related to this topic. There's so many. It would take a room of attorneys to Indeed. Yeah. cover every single aspect of what we're talking about here. So, you know, that everybody give this guy a break, all right? Absolutely. When you're listening and he says, I don't know, <laughs> or I can't speak on that, you know, that's that's the long and the short of so it. So many rabbit holes to go yeah. down, isn't there? So, so let me ask you go this on. then. Again, speaking in terms of Australian law, so maybe it makes it a bit easier for you to give me an answer. But would you suggest then that if people continue to use these sites from here on in, that when they do their audition, do they need to do some sort of legal disclaimer at the end of their audition that says the recording of this voice and anything associated with it is, you know, is claimed by me, blah, blah, blah. Is that going to help? Look, I mean, that's not the worst idea. Um, And the fact is that if you're doing that, you're sort of putting the... The entity that you're sort of sending that your work to on notice, so I, I can think of worse things to do. Um, that might not be the worst idea at all. But again, it, it's it's about looking at you know. I assume, and I don't know, but you guys would have to tell me that these that such websites would have sort of um, clear terms and conditions around how um, an audition is going to be used. Mm. AP, um, I don't it, know. Over to you on that. I don't one. know. Yeah. I, I don't know. I would have to have a look and um, to see if the, what their T's and C's are on on the actual site. But um, so I, think, yeah. I would get my my feeling is that with this there will be nothing talking about 
um, AI and probably the use of any of the voices for AI. That that's kind of what I'm thinking. But the other the other if say for instance you could use um, a waveform that actually is like a fingerprint, so every voice has its own waveform. If we could establish that was real, which we don't know, um, someone technical out there probably does. But uh, if there was a fingerprint of your voice that makes it indistinguishable, like it is, it, I mean, distinguishable from anybody else. Um, if that was the case, could you use that as a trademark? So not as a trademark. Okay, so so going so going back to sort of, again, first principles. Um, so when we were talking about trademarks, remember the trademark is there designed to be used as a badge of origin for particular goods or services. So it's in, a, in the course of trade. So it's yeah. acting as that sort of market identifier. So technically, you know, anyone's voice could be used. And I'll, let, me, let me think of a couple of examples here, perhaps from, for US and, and Australian context. So, so I guess from a US context, you could think about... I can't think of the, the gentleman's first name, but Buffer, sort of let's get ready to rumble, um, who sort of does the UFC. Uh, Michael uh, intro- Buffer, I believe. Mike, Michael Buffer, okay. Um, he's got a fairly distinctive voice. He's got a fairly distinctive tagline. Um, similarly, you know, you can think of, you know, Australian tennis player Leighton Hewitt, who, you know, when he was, when he was playing competitively, he always used to urge himself on by saying, come on. You know, if those guys wanted to use providing they haven't licensed their ability to use that to someone else. If they were to want to use that as a badge of orange to sell goods or services, there probably is an ability for them to do that. But sort of as we said in relation to the trademarks, um, sound trademarks, what, you, what you're doing is you're then applying for that particular expression and that particular recording, and, and you're getting a monopoly in relation to specific goods or services in relation to that. So, you know, you're not pr- protecting the voice per se. You're, 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 you're limiting the protection to the recorded phrase. So, AP, to your, your point, the, the WAV file, you know, is, is able to be protected as a trademark, but it's only for that particular expression for that recorded phrase. It's not going to be for the voice in general. Take a step back and think of all the different sort of trademarks that, that you know, have been protected, you know, you know, there is, for example, a, a, the, a song or a tune can be protected as a trademark. So Bigger Cheese, for instance, has the Happy Little Vegemites tune. Um, you know, there's Metro Goldwyn Mayer Studios, Inks. You know, they've got that Lion's Roar, which is extraordinarily distinctive um, in relation to their movies. You know, and those, those are pr- probably good examples of, you know, how a tr- sound trademark works in that it, it is sort of acting as a badge of origin for particular goods or services. You know, there have been, been times where um, other, other companies have tried to, you know, secure uh, the protection of sounds and haven't been as successful. And I guess the main one that comes to mind is um, Harley Davidson um, with the sort of the motor- motorcycle, uh, the roar of the engine. Um, they, I'm just going to find it for you just so I can give you exactly what it sounded like. One second. Um, While he's doing that, I'll tell you that Michael Buffer, as of 2018 has made over $400 million from his signature phrase. Wow. Let's get what? ready to rumble. <laughs> Holy crap. God, you're you kidding me. So this is the thing. It's not, sorry, it's just, I'll come back to Kelly Davidson, but <laughs> this is the thing. It's, it's, it's a question of, if you have a phrase like that, you can protect the words, not, right. not as, as well it's as. It's not his voice saying those words. Yeah. It's those words said in that way, right? That's what's protected. Exactly. He could protect both the, the words, the phrase, or he could protect him saying that. 
And then, uh-huh. for instance, Both. yeah, gotcha, and then yeah. two different things. Absolutely. And then, for instance, if I, and I don't know if one exists, but for instance, if then, um, you know, someone wanted to come up with a UFC video game or something, and um, or a boxing video game, whatever it would be, and they wanted to use that, then he could obviously then license his voice to that particular, you know, um, computer games manufacturer or designer. I'm sure there are instances of. Um, celebrities and, and, and who are sort of licensing the, the, the voice to particular entities to make their product more attractive um, to consumers. In fact, I'm thinking, thinking out loud here and I'm sure that, and I don't know if this ever happened, but didn't Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan was at one stage in, dis- in discussions with, um, with Garmin or one of the, one of the sort of. Um, the uh, navigation term it, by term. Indeed. Tom, um, Tom, those kind a- of guys. Absolutely. So instead of having your sort of generic voice, you could have him be guided by Bob. Or I don't know if it went anywhere, <laughs> but you know, I understand that there there, there are people who um, there are celebrities who have endorsed those sorts of. Um, so we were talking like we were talking like you know, turn left in two hundred meters, then continue straight like a Rolling Stone for five kilometers. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> Yeah, continue yeah. straight like done. a rolling stone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Bob, I didn't quite get that. What did yeah. you say? Oh, I like you said exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I know exactly. Waze was doing that too with navigation. You could there was a tremendous. I, I think you could even have your own voice. But wow. um, yeah, I mean Dennis Hopper could give you directions on like a Tom Tom at one point. Yeah, you know, weird stuff like that. Yeah. There's so a bomb on a bus. Oh, no, Dane Turn Edna left. Average was one. <laughs> right, <laughs> Dane Edna Average. Yeah. yeah, she'd be a good one too. Yeah, Dane Edna did one. I think I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So it's a question of then of those guys, and those those artists, those celebrities, sort of licensing their voices for particular uses, mm. and no doubt the the legals around that would have been a contract and a limited contract around the extent to which that could be used for, you know, whether it was for particular products or particular time limit, and obviously then the endorsements that would then flow from that. Yeah. Now, the exhaust note of the Harley-Davidson, yes. so, what happened with that one? Um, so, Harley-Davidson attempted to register the sound of the Harley-Davidson motorcycle engine, and that was back in the 1990s. Um, and the mark they applied for consisted of the sound um, of the exhaust of Harley-Davidson motorcycles produced by a V-twin common crank pin motorcycle engine when in use. Um, so they applied for it, but they, they were unsuccessful because a number of their competitors opposed the registration of that sound trademark on the basis that, you know, um, it's too the generic. same, yeah, indeed, it, that's exactly right. The, the crank pin V twin engine was something that produces a particular sound and other motorcycle manufacturers would may want to use that particular engine and then, um, would be prevented from doing so. Mm. Because Harley had this, if they were granted the rights, so they they ultimately didn't get anywhere. But interesting that they had to go. It is in well, yeah. and, and I guess given the fact that you know, any ask any Harley rider what they love most about their bike, it'll be the sound of it. Here's a sound. There it is. You all know that sound, if, if, especially if you live near the beach, if you live near a mountain. That's it. If exactly. you live in Los oh, yes. Angeles, yeah, you, you hear live it down here far too often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just wondering if, you know, the issue we're going to have with all of this is uh, most bodies are reactive as opposed to forward thinking. And I think they'll be just chasing stuff, which has already happened, mm. unfortunately. I think I think that's the reality with most things, unfortunately. Um, law is extraordinarily slow to move to accommodate new developments. Um, 
and unless the parliament takes proactive action, the, the Congress takes proactive action, it's really down to those judge-made common law um, decisions that will then sort of impact upon how, you know, technological developments are treated. Mm. Um, and it's it's about sort of, you know, using the existing matrix of existing laws to sort of work out whether there is a remedy there. And there there typically will be because, you know, if if enough people agitate about something, typically, you know, people start paying attention, you know, unless unless there are, you know, societal reasons not to accommodate something um, or, you know, particular interests being alienated or, you know, overlooked, um, you know, the law will, will eventually adapt. But it's, as I say, it's, it's not sort of, you know, uh, tectonic shifts, not... Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, not sort of not tsunamis. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, would you? What would be the first port of call? Would you advise voice talent to talk to their agents, talk to their union, um, talk to each other? You certainly, it's certainly a live issue. So, it's it's something that should be discussed, which you guys are doing. Um, you know, the the more people discuss it, the more um, light will be shone on the issue. Won't it hurt to engage in in industry discussions around whether it is possible to, um, or rather, not whether it's possible, but how how the industry will need to adapt to um, meet the challenge that that AI is going to present. Mm. Just out of interest, is um, is it just this industry that you've seen or you're aware of in general terms that this that AI affects, or are there are there other industries that can be greatly affected by AI in any shape or form. I think AI is affecting every industry. It's affecting the legal industry. Mm. Um, it's, oh, really? It's, absolutely. Uh, you know, the automation of documents, the, um, you know, um, I mean, there, there is, there's some amazing work being done um, by IBM around sort of reading into um, decisions and predicting, you know, how particular cases are going to be decided in particular jurisdictions based on prior law and particular judges involved and it's all about entering data and, and analyzing that data and you know there is some amazing stuff going on so ai is is it's not going to it is having a, a dramatic um effect and um it's something that society and the laws and every industry is going to have to grapple with as we as we move forward wow it's crazy isn't it mm. I um I actually think you sound fairly passionate about this, and maybe maybe you should be, we should be getting the ME AA and SAG after it to get in touch with you and <laughs> see what they can do to get the ball rolling. I just don't think anyone's going to be reacting quickly enough. No, I don't think so. And I, you know, and because there's been, no one's actually put anything in place. I mean, there's so many people who are freelance who are actually doing jobs in perpetuity. Um, so you know, it's like well, and you, you're not saying you can use this as in this form in perpetuity, you're basically handing over everything in perpetuity. I guess it would be interesting to see if it was implied by just, you know, you, you provided a, you know, sample or, or your audition tape for a particular purpose and whether that would be read in by an adjudicatory authority as to I did it for this purpose, therefore it was implied limited to that purpose. Um, you know, I don't know where that argument would work, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's a challenging one, unfortunately, and, and definitely one that, um, we're, we're, we're all going to need to grapple with because it's, it's, um, 
sort of as I was saying before, it's it's around the fact that available remedies are going to favour someone who already has that reputation and has the funds because um, otherwise it really is around the unions and the representative bodies to to speak to the minister, um, to, to seek, seek an audience and raise the concerns and see if there's, there's a, a favourable reception and, and if not, you know, work out what other strategies might be available to secure that voice right. Wow. Well, it sounds, certainly sounds like at the moment that, you know, as we said at the very beginning, if you've got the money, you can cover your ass, but if you don't, you're pretty much stuck with what everyone wants to do with it at the moment. Unfortunately, I think that applies for all, all areas um, uh, of society, really. You, 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 you know, the, those, those who have the ability um, to, to fund uh, legal proceedings um, have an ability to be heard and have an ability to, to seek a remedy. Those who don't uh, are left to the, the sort of the legislature and, and the Congress and the government made laws um, to seek that protection. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's extraordinarily difficult and it's, it's unfortunately it's not clear cut. Well, looks like we've got some homework to do. Yeah, and it's something I think we're going to stay on because it's a fascinating topic as far as I'm concerned. It's, um, and it's something that needs to be addressed as we've, we've mentioned, you know, not everyone seems to be sitting on their hands, but. I think the sooner the industry as a whole moves on this, the better it's going to be in everybody's interests. It's definitely a topic of discussion that's being uh, shared among the community here in the US. I mean, I just just today saw a video passed to me from one of my clients. It was sort of a roundtable in similar terms. I don't believe there was any attorney involved, but it might have been more of a hand-wringing session. Yeah. But, you know, it's kind of like, what are we going to do? Uh, what's what's the technology capable of doing? You know, but I, I and I won't mention any names. But the interesting thing that came out of that for me, George, was that one that you sent us was that there was still a certain amount of head in the sand naiveness about what they were talking about. Right. It was kind of interesting to me that they still didn't sort of accept the fact that hey, this is here to stay, and this is already happening. Um, right. And they actually don't need your permission to. Sample your voice. Correct. Right. So, you know, the fact that they were still sort of talking about, you know, down the track, maybe we need to look at this and this is still a way off and this is not true at all. It's here and it's now. Um, That was the interesting thing out of that one that you sent us. Yeah. I don't know if that was said to be comforting to each other. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. maybe It could very well have been, yes. Don't scare me. Yeah, maybe in this day and age where Dr. Zeus books are taken off the shelves and all that sort of stuff, maybe that's right. what they were doing. Exactly. Yeah, right. exactly. Stuart, thank you so well, much. You've shed a, a great- Thank you, Stuart. <laughs> massive, Pleasure. Massive spotlight was, on a shit situation, I think. Yeah, no, good. I was just going to say that the other analogy that could be made with this is that it's a similar sort of situation to which the music industry faced with the, sort of the, the advent of the MP3. It's It's got that sort of ability- you know, the, in the, the sort of the rise of AI in, this, in, in these terms and, and for voice artists to be exploited in the way that you're sort of speaking about. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's game-changing stuff. And the analogy there is that, that, you know, again, it comes back down to the relevant stakeholders had to take action for there to be changes to the various, um, you know, remedies available. Um, but... You know, again, it was a case of looking at what the what the existing laws and how the existing matrix of laws could be applied to a really fast-moving situation. 
um, and sound and and you know that's just that's just how law works. <laughs> it's one of those things. It's like okay, there's something that's having a, a significant um, effect, and um, we how do we address it? We look at what laws are available, and we can pick and pick little bits and pieces from each, or what might be available, and you know can only put up the argument and then see if it if it if it is successful or not. Well, I suppose yeah, I mean that's the thing. It kind of has to be reactive by its very nature, doesn't it? Because it's not until mm. something arises that they can you can change laws. It's not like you can look ahead and go, well, this might happen. Well, certainly from a from a from the judge made and the common law perspective, that's exactly right. You know, the court can only rule on the cases that is that are put before it. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, parliament, you know, this is this is why parliament and and you know, you get um, engagement and lobbying. Um, it's it's up to the industry. It's up to the unions. Up to as you say, the agents and, and the talent themselves to to advocate and to raise raise the the issue um, and put it put it on the agenda and on the radar. So in the meantime, stick a disclaimer on the end of your demos and your auditions. Then, by the sounds of it, <laughs> not the worst idea. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, that was fun. Is it over? The Pro Audio Suite recorded using Rode NTG5s and Source Connect, edited by Andrew Peters and mixed by Voodoo Radio Imaging with tech support from George the Tech Whittem. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and join in the conversation on our Facebook group. To leave a comment, suggest a topic, or just say g'day, drop us a note at our website, theproaudiosuite.com.